0: Hello and welcome to day 84 of our Bible reading course at Ashford Baptist Church. After a third missionary journey which took in the important city of Ephesus, Paul is arrested by his opponents in Jerusalem and travels to Rome to appear before the Emperor. This is where the Book of Acts, and the Bible story of the early church, comes to a close. It's then followed by a series of letters from leading figures including Paul, Peter and John, to various churches and individuals. They're not arranged in chronological order, which a modern Western reader might prefer, but by author, beginning with Paul, and then simply by length of letter. So Romans wasn't the first to be written, even though it's the first that we come across. Today's passage is Romans chapter 3, verse 21, to the end of chapter 5. Let's pray. Loving God, at this time of great turmoil and upheaval in your world, help me now to be still and know that you are God. In Jesus' name. Amen. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, He had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness, Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised, or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed the God who gives life to the dead, and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more so that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Having completed his missionary work around the eastern part of the Mediterranean, Paul was turning his thoughts further afield, and to Spain in particular, which was a long-established Roman colony. On the way there, he wanted to call in at Rome, where there was a thriving church at the heart of the empire. It wasn't one that he had founded. Indeed, he'd never been there. So he writes this letter around AD 57 from Corinth as a kind of introduction to himself. Unlike most of his other letters, therefore, it isn't a pastoral one of either encouragement or addressing problems. Instead, it's the fullest and most systematic presentation of his thinking and belief – And for that reason, has always had an important place in church history. Paul did know that the church in Rome was made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers, probably more of the latter, as we see from the list of names at the end of the letter. It was still early days, and therefore unity between these two groups could never be taken for granted. So, in the first three chapters of Romans, Paul establishes a level playing field between Jews and Gentiles. The good news of the gospel applies equally to each of them, as they both stand in need of the grace and mercy of God. Jews may have the historic advantage of the covenant of circumcision through Abraham and the law of Moses on Mount Sinai, but they have been unable to keep them because of the power of sin that first showed itself in the lives of Adam and Eve and has affected everyone born since, whatever their ethnic background. Our reading picks up the argument at this point, stating that while all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that we are nevertheless justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, Jew or Gentile. It's all about faith, faith that simply trusts and believes in the death and resurrection of Jesus and all that was achieved for us at the cross and empty tomb the same faith shown by Abraham when he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, something that happened before either circumcision or the law had been given. The fact that salvation comes by faith in God's promises rather than our ability to obey the law means that we can have complete assurance and therefore peace with God. His grace is not only perfectly sufficient but also utterly dependable. the language and terminology of Romans can get a bit technical and complex at times, the overriding message is crystal clear. We are saved from the judgment of our sins through faith in what God has done for us in Jesus. Words such as grace and gift characterise this wonderful truth, leading to the conclusion at the end of our reading, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus. How can I resist the temptation to believe that my goodness earns God's favour and conversely that my sin outweighs his love for me? And how can I live in the freedom that God intends for me? while never losing sight of his forgiveness and mercy at the cross. Right in the middle of this passage, Paul grounds what he is saying in practical terms, describing how suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. What encouragement does that bring me in my Christian walk, generally and or in a specific instance of suffering or struggle, I may be going through right now. Lord God, my Heavenly Father, I rejoice today as I remember your abundant provision of grace for me, along with your gift of righteousness. And in those times when I ever forget your love and goodness, I pray in the words of King David that you would restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me, and help me to reflect the kindness, forgiveness and generosity that you have shown to me in my dealings with other people, however well I know them. For your name's sake. Amen.